and welcome to the Rethinking Leadership podcast series. I'm Jude Jennison, host of this podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I believe that leadership is about who we are being as much as what we're doing and that when we combine our brilliant minds with the emotional engagement of the heart, we can solve all of the world's problems. In this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of disruptive change and ask them how leaders can position themselves for the future of business. Find out what this week's leader has to say. Sally Palethorpe is the managing partner of Inspired Partners, a change management consultancy. Sally talks about the need to support leaders and organisations through change using her other framework, which provides the skills needed to lead change. She she explains the challenges of changing behaviour and why change programmes fail when we ignore the human beings behind the change. Have a listen. Hi Sally, thanks for joining me today. That's my pleasure. Can you tell us who you are and what you do please? So my name is Sally Palethorpe and I'm the managing partner and founder of Inspired Partners and we're a change management consultancy that have been uh, in existence for about 16 years now. So um, our strap line is about delivering results for a change, uh, engaging people differently. And I think a lot of people do change management um, activities, but they don't always get the results that they expect from those change management activities. And it's helping companies and clients think about what, what do they need to do differently to make certain that they actually deliver on the benefits that they thought when they were first starting the change. So, um, so why, why is it that they're not getting the results that they want from change? I think um, the main reason is because people tend to be very focused on what they think the change is. So, so let's take the, uh, a reorganisation as an example. So someone might decide that the company needs to look like um, X. So I work with a client and we move from functional teams to uh, integrated project management teams. So, and we could quite easily have just drawn that on an organization chart, told everybody this is the new organization and then hoped, and I'll come back to that word, but hoped that people thought that was a great thing to do and started working in a new way. But the reality is that that will not deliver the change that people want. Mm. So and I do have a phrase which is management by hope is doomed. So, um, so it's about, so what are you going to do to tangibly deliver this change? So we're not going to hope that it happens, but we're going to ensure that it happens. And I talk to my clients about working with outcomes. So if the outcome for this integrated project team, for example, was... We want to work, we want to deliver great service to the customer. We want the customer, in this case, it was Highways England, um, because they're in the civil, civil engineering sector. So we want to deliver great service to the customer. We want to deliver a seamless service to the customer. We want to start delivering to targets that they've set us that we're failing to do at the moment. That's a very different outcome to, I'm just going to introduce this organisational chart. So it's really getting people to think about it from quite a different perspective. So, and I, so we talk about outcomes rather than activities. And another company I was working with, as an example, so they said, well, can you deliver some training for us, Sally? And I said, yeah, I can deliver some training. But what outcome do you want? Because if the outcome is that they've just had a great day of training, 
then you know they'll have a great day but they their behaviors won't change when they go back into the workplace mm. do you want people just to have a bit of bit of fun or do you want them to change and shift their behaviors because if you want that then we need to design a different sort type of intervention just and really think, thinking around that from an outcomes perspective yeah and i you know and i totally resonate with that because i in, in my previous career i worked for ibm for 17 years and and i went through loads and loads of reorganizational changes and and sometimes you know like with many organize large organizations it i know that with IBM there's a lot of thought that goes into it but sometimes it just feels like your reporting manager has changed and it's there's a reorganization for reorganization's sake and it becomes almost a an in-house joke about it and and there's this whole um there's this whole piece where people say well why 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 have I got to change my manager why have I got to suddenly report over here what's the value what's the value for me as an employee as well and I think sometimes we overlook that we can focus on what the outcomes are for the business but we forget about well is this better for the employees and that's really interesting so i talk about what's in it for me lots of people have heard that phrase but i think what's in it for me for the senior management might be you know improved shareholder funding lots of things that from a business perspective absolutely make sense for joe blog sitting that's working on the shop floor doesn't make any difference to him. So you need to articulate the vision, the what's in it for me, the, ra the rationale for doing it in different ways so it resonates through the organization. Otherwise, by the time it gets down to Fred, who's working on the shop floor, he's like, well, it doesn't mean anything to me. So yeah, I may do it, but actually there's nothing in it for me to actually make that change. Mm. And I think it's really thinking through and quite often coaching, so if we're, if we're working with senior managers, coaching them to think about the language that they use so that when they are presenting about a change, they don't just go, it's going to deliver all these great things for the business, but what's it going to do for those individuals? And they won't always like it. You know, that's, that's, this isn't about only delivering change that people like and embrace. It's about delivering the right change to ensure that the organisation exists three years hence. Well, and I think also it, it's recognising that the, when people have dreamed up change, they've come up with that idea for a reason. Yes. And then when they start to communicate it, there's a, there's a backlog of the people who, hit, who are hearing it for the first time might Absolutely. not be part of the process of creating it. And therefore they haven't gone through the not this, not that, yes, let's do it this way and this is why. So they, there's, a, there's a backlog of communication that has to, to catch up as well, isn't there? There is, and, and sometimes the senior managers who came up with the idea in the first place have almost moved on to their next bright and shiny thing, mm. just as they've sort of dropped this particular change into the organisation. So that can, have some, um, that can have to bring some challenges of its own. But yeah, it's, a, it's about helping people make the be, get that understanding, really, and being honest with people. Because I think most people would prefer you to be honest and explain, well, we're doing it for these reasons. Uh, a couple of the projects I've worked on, we had to do one major change because if we didn't, the, cus the customer was going to withdraw an £80 million contract and the business wouldn't exist. Now, we weren't honest with the employees because actually that would have put the cat amongst the pigeons, but that made that change really hard to do. 
because we couldn't have that honest moment to say you have to change because if you don't change your customer's going to walk away and it's interesting do you think that we are becoming more honest and transparent now i mean we've gone through the pandemic which is a massive change yes you know everybody virtually on the planet has had to change the way that they live and work literally do you think that um through that process we've been better at managing change than we were previously i think we've been prepared to manage things much more quickly so and i think previously people have wanted to sort of dot the i's cross the t's um had one one client who said well i can't share it because we're not 100 percent certain what we're doing yet and i said better to share 80 percent than have the rumors running around because what the rumors will be much worse than what you're going to be doing so i think the pandemic has has enabled people to do change more quickly it's stopped some of the some of the maybe the negativity within the organization because people realize that the change is having having to happen for a reason so it's it's a reason that everybody understands they may not like it but they all understand it so i think we are getting better at responding quickly i mean look how the government has responded it's amazing really so um you know whatever your political views are they responded really quickly and i think what I would hope, and we said we don't like hope, but what I would hope is that some of that is retained as we move through, as we move through this and move on from it. So that honesty within organisations and that speed of speed of response. Yeah, and I think, but also it has it has to be balanced, and certainly the speed of response has to be balanced, doesn't it? Because I think no nobody would choose to go through the pandemic so whilst we have responded really quickly and people have adapted it has also come with a high volume of stress and anxiety and a whole raft of other emotions that you probably wouldn't normally want to put your organization under under normal circumstances so how do how do you how do you think we should balance that going forward in terms of being mindful of how you bring people with with you through change, but also recognizing that stress, you know, stress levels are already pretty high in change anyway. Yeah, I think uh, when, when you think about a change, there are activities that have to take place when you do change. Uh, and there's, well, there's different approaches, but there's the two sort of extremes I talk about is the hammer approach, which is sort of what's happened at the moment. We've said, this is the change and it's happened. The reality is when you do that is you've still got all the pieces to put in place. So just because you said the change has happened, you still have to look at the behaviors. You still have to help people make that transition. You still have to put in place maybe some of the processes and some of the supporting and enabling activities. Um, if you're doing change and you've got the luxury of having time, then you can do it more from an engaging perspective. So if, if you've got the hammer at one end, the other one is the transition approach to change where you can make the transition much more gently and you can put the pieces in place as you go along so that you are taking individuals on that journey. If, if people are struggling with it, you can start helping them work their way through. So where many changes go wrong is they think again that they'll, they'll hammer the change in and they forget that they still have to put those pieces into place. So we still have to care for the individuals. We still have to ensure that the processes and the technology that we're using are fit for purpose and support this new way of working, which lots of, I mean, technology is a great example, isn't it? Lots of people are having to use technology differently now. 
and in the main have, well, I'll say embraced, but you know, have accepted it at the very least. And quite a few people have embraced it. Yeah. People that you perhaps wouldn't think would have done. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So in terms of as we go forward, what what do you think are the skills that leaders need to have if they're going to to drive change? Because I think, you know, what the what the pandemic has shown us is yes, we can lead it. Yes, we can actually do it really well in a crisis. But we also need to be able to to lead change under normal, more normal circumstances as well, don't we? Because technology is yeah. driving rapid change. Markets are being disrupted. Change is something that leaders need to understand and know how to lead through, isn't it? I think so. And I think one of the big challenges is that change isn't taught. So, you know, you can go on a project management course and they talk about actions and deliverables. You can go on a leadership and management talk course and they talk about, you know, how do you lead and how do you manage and the difference between them. But companies aren't putting people through that whole what does change management mean? And I, when I'm talking to clients about it, I say that there's five things that people don't consider when they're doing change. So the first one is outcomes. So think about the outcomes, not the activities. What outcome do you want? The second one is tenacity. Because actually to implement change in this very changing world, you have to be tenacious. You have to keep in mind where you're looking to get to. And when other things come in, and maybe trying to disrupt it, you say you have to say, well, is that disruption something that we need to change course or do we need to just keep going? You need to be human about it. And I think that's, for me, a big skill for leaders is about how do they demonstrate empathy? Mm-hmm. So, you know, this isn't about saying everyone has to be happy with the change, but you do have to demonstrate empathy and realise that people will all go through the change curve. They'll all have their emotional responses. We've seen that a lot recently. For any change, you see those emotional responses. The fourth one is engagement. So communications. We were talking about the what's in it for me, but, you know, making certain that you communicate with people. And that doesn't mean telling them lots of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That means giving them an opportunity to respond and raise their concerns and maybe addressing some of those concerns. And then the last one um, that we talk about is reinforcement. And I'll go back to my um, project with the, uh, in the highways sector, which is, so if you think about reinforcing steels, you don't build a bridge and then put the reinforcing steels around the outside. You build the bridge with the reinforcing steels in the middle. And what you quite often find with change is that people think about reinforcement at the end. What we should be doing is thinking about it from the, from the, from the outset. And that's things like, do the processes support what we're looking to do? Because if they don't, then people can say, well, the process says I don't need to do this. Does the working environment, if you're changing the way the teams are, the teams are working, do you change the working environment? Great enabler. So is the technology enabling it? Maybe are the measures that we're using in an organisation, are they enabling us to work in this different way? So, so reinforcement is the last one. So I call it the other stuff. So outcomes, tenacity, human engagement and reinforcement. But those five things with basic project management, you know, techniques. Yeah. Because change management has to be integrated within the overall project plan. It can't be a separate thing. Mm. So and I, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I always think leadership is, 
is very similar in that we tend to focus on the things that people are doing whereas actually you know tenacity is is like it's quite intangible isn't it in terms it of is. how do you how do you get leaders to be more tenacious and some of that is through coaching so um i mean i i I always give the caveat, I only work with companies where the change isn't going particularly well. I never get called in when change is going well um, because people don't need someone like myself. But it's about coaching people. So, um, and I think sometimes having an external person can help because that's what you're there to do. You're there to implement the change. So, so you want to be tenacious or you need to be tenacious. And people have said to me in the past, well, why will this change be any different, Sally? We've tried it before. And it's like, I've never failed and I don't intend to fail now. Mm. But that's because that's what I'm being paid to do. And I think one of the challenges for leaders is that they've got their day job to deliver. And I use that term loosely, but their perceived day job to deliver. And often they're expected to do the change activities as an add-on or an adjunct. Yeah. It's about how do you make certain that it becomes part of your day job rather than an extra thing. So what would your advice be for those leaders who perhaps don't have the benefit of bringing someone like you in? Because with the best will in the world, not everybody's going to be able to bring you or your equivalent in. So, so perhaps for those organisations or those leaders who they've got their day job and they're leading change on the side, what, what are the skills they need? What, what should they be looking to do differently? So I'll just start the response with a, I don't think it would be lovely if every company didn't need a me. I think companies need me and my equivalents because they haven't got the skill set internally. So I think the first one is, is ensure that you or someone in your team has got the skill set. So, um, so that, so that if you haven't got the time and capacity that you can delegate to somebody else, or you've got someone who can act as an internal coach and say, have you thought about doing this? so that you've got some support around you. I think they're making certain that you think about the things that we've talked about. So when someone says, this is the change project, will you sponsor it? You can say, well, what are the outcomes that you're looking to achieve? And then keep, keep holding them to account to deliver the outcomes rather than thinking that because they've done lots of activities that they're making progress. Mm. I think listening to people. So we talked about the sort of the human side of things and engagement. So really listening to people and, and making time. And I know that's not where we are at the moment, but whether that's um, having a cup of coffee or in the kitchen, or maybe if you're on a Zoom meeting, you know, spending an extra five minutes just sort of touching base and finding out where people are. Because we're missing, really... we're missing that a bit, aren't we? Because one of the things that's, that happens when people are working more remotely is you don't get that quick chat by the coffee machine or let's no. go and have a quick coffee or you, you miss those things, don't you? It's, it's... Yeah, you do. And it's interesting. One of my clients, um, he was com yeah, complaining about it, actually. And I said, well, why don't you on a, you know, 11 o'clock on a Friday or 10 o'clock on a Friday say, you know, who, whoever's free, if you've not got a meeting, we're just going to have a coffee catch up. And they've also, they've been doing it for two months now and they bring bacon butties at home. And, oh, brilliant. and they said, it's brilliant. He said, I get loads of people now coming in to do it. And it is, it's, it's about making time. And, and, you know, sadly, what would I say to leaders that have to do it as part of their job? You have to make the time to do it. And if you can't make the time, you need to find someone else in the business that can. 
the statistics say you need to put 10 to 15 percent of your budget into change activities and that can only be communications engagement listening and reinforcement so you can't underestimate that and if you can't do it then find someone in your team that can so important isn't it because i think that you know the days of you know working nine to five and here's the job and everybody's just trundling along doing the same thing every day for a year and then once a year you might reset the course we're, we're constantly in the process of change now aren't we it, it, we are yes yeah i so there's a there's well there's lots of change models and i try not to bore people with them but there was a guy called lewin in the 1940s and his model was unfreeze make the change refreeze and I talk to people about being in this permanent state of slush because actually we never really get to a point where we can refreeze something. But in the, you know, in the forties and fifties, that was the world we live in. Mm. And I, so I think, um, I was business improvement director for an organization for a couple of years. And one of the things I did when I worked in the company was made certain that all the change activities were managed in a holistic way. So we looked at all of them and we made certain that they were all going together. So maybe one of the things, particularly for uh, people that, or leaders that work in big organisations, it's just have a look at all those change activities that are all being done for the right reason, but have a look at bringing them together and making certain that they're all taking the organisation in the same direction. Mm. Because what you often find is you'll go in and do an audit and some of the change will be taking you in one way and others for all the right reasons, but they're not really congruent with each other. So how do you bring that back together to say, let's, let's focus this on making certain that we're all driving the organisation in you know, the same direction? Yeah, so much easier said than done, isn't it? Well, it is. And it, and it takes, it took, you know, it probably took me two months to do the mind map and find out what all the little, because there's all sorts of, you know, big changes, little changes and bring them all together. But it was that, I would say that was time well spent. But then I was business improvement director, so it's my job. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and that, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is that now everybody's job involves change. So actually, yes. what I'm hearing is everybody needs to have the skills that you've talked around. You know, the the communication, the listening, the the empathy, and and actually, most people haven't been trained in those skills. No, no, they haven't. And it is that whole sort of, um, we talk about, so on some training that I deliver, I talk about the leadership shadow. And it is that whole leadership shadow. So thinking about the shadow that you cast. So when you're talking about change, being positive about it, and not in one breath being positive about it, and then another breath saying, yeah, all well, this change is a bit of a pain really, isn't it? Stopping us from doing what we need to be doing. So there, there are lots of, yeah, there's lots of skills, I think, that sit behind it that people haven't, haven't been trained in so you know they don't know what they don't know so it's not that they're negligent they just don't know that that's something that would be useful for them to know so how how do we how do we upskill upskill everybody because you know the world the world is changing and we need to recognize that it that things are not binary anymore how do we how, how do we upskill the workforce does it start in education does it start in the workplace I think it should definitely start in education at at degree or higher education level. So um, 
because I think that's when um, when you're training the engineers of the future, when you're changing the architects of the future, well, any profession of the future. I've, I've done some change work with lawyers, the firm of lawyers and solicitors. Well, they're not really taught how to run a business, let alone how to do change. They're just taught how to do law. Mm. So, so I think if, if some of these professional qualifications could also include some of that sort of more human side of things, I think that would help as people move into move into organizations and then i actually think you know i don't think i would have said this six six months ago but there's lots of things now you can do online they don't have to be big long courses hmm. they can be short snapshots where people can just give give them some food for thought yeah and i think sometimes those short snapshots they don't overwhelm people by trying to get them to change too much behavior because i think if you're if you're asking people to change behavior completely you're almost destined to fail aren't you whereas if you're just yeah. tweaking and fine-tuning it's so much easier than than a massive change yes and and i think organizations and it different companies have different cultures don't they so some companies their cultures aren't necessarily they want people that are very driven and um actually they're not really interested in the people side of it you'll either make it in this company or you won't and if you don't it's not the right company for you and that's sort of fine i have an opinion on that but you know if that's their company culture then that's then that's fine but what you can start doing is you can start recruiting people and looking at behaviors when you do recruitment because they talk about hiring on capabilities and firing on behaviours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you hire someone because they've got the right skill set for you. But actually, typically, if they don't make the cuts after the three, six months, it's because they haven't got the right behavioural set. And one of the ways that you can shift the organisation's behaviours is by bringing more people in who maybe have that bit naturally. And if you get more of that in the organisation, then the culture will start to shift. So you can, I mean, these are quite long-term solutions, but you can look to bring people in with some of those softer skills, um, as people like to call them, but, and, and start shifting the culture rather than saying to people that perhaps that's not their natural way, well, you just need to change. Because, you know, that's not, it's not always pr practical or possible. Mm. So if, if organizations were going to consider doing that, what would be, like, what would be the top three behaviors that you particularly would look for in, in terms of being able to lead and adapt to change? So I think openness. I think being open to um, different ideas and, and listening to what people are saying. I think uh, empathy would be another one and I think that is different so that's about understanding that different people are coming from a different a different standpoint and then I think you also need to be quite I want to say directive which isn't a great word from a change perspective but I think I think you do have to be quite you have to be quite strong in what you're doing because People will say, well, we don't want to do that. So to be able to deliver change, you do need to have that perseverance and that strength of character that says that this is the right thing to do. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a clarity of direction that is needed, isn't there, when, there when is. you change? Because in the absence of that clarity of direction, it would be very easy to get pulled off course and to be dragged all over the place. And I see this a lot with people, particularly teams or organizations that want to be more collaborative 
and in the desire to be more collaborative, they completely lose sense of all direction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's that's that was the behaviour that I was trying to explain. Really, it's just being. You do need to be able to give that. Yeah, clarity. I think that's a really good word. Mm. So, um, but you can, you know, you can then look to build complementary skills, can't you? So if you've got a team. There are people in the team. I had a director, oh, he's probably retired now, it's a long time ago. He had no people skills. Brilliant technically, had no people skills, but he said, I don't need them, Sally, because I've got you. So he knew his weaknesses. And I think sometimes if it's not an area that you're comfortable with, we'll make certain that someone in your team can do that. Mm. So, uh, so understanding your strengths and your weaknesses is really important, isn't it? Yeah but also not making it an excuse because sometimes I think that can then be an excuse of, I don't have to bother developing myself. I can, I can just rely on you to be, to do that. And I don't have to, so I yes. think there's a balance there as well, isn't there? Well, there absolutely is. I mean, we are going back a long time. He used to walk the floor cause he knew he had to, but he wouldn't talk to anybody cause he was a bit shy. <laughs> so they saw him, but they didn't talk to him. Yeah. So um, I don't, yeah, yes. So, but you're right. It's not about giving people excuses. And that's where coaching is brilliant, isn't it? You know, coaching can be a brilliant way of helping people to get, overcome some of those obstacles. Mm. We had a Back to Highways England project. I don't know why that one keeps popping up, but one of the team leaders didn't want to be a team leader in the new way of working. And he was one of the best team leaders that they had. Um, and in the end, I had some one-to-one sessions with him. The contract director spoke to him. And begrudgingly, he said, okay, I'll do the role for three months. And if I don't like it, I'm going to step out. He was one of the best ones that we had at the end of it. Mm. But that was just about giving him that confidence and and making the time for him to coach him through to where he needed to be. I think it's really tricky, isn't it, is that when there is change, there's, there's there's that uncertainty, which, of course, is my topic of you're stepping into something unknown and new that generates a level of nervousness, you know, particularly, I mean, some people just thrive on uncertainty and dive in and then others have to be dragged kicking and screaming. And it's like, how do you, you know, how do you bring everybody through that and give them that confidence along the way? Yes. And we talk about, so I talk a lot about the change curve, which, you know, we all transition through that change curve and, and we all transition through it at different speeds. Mm. And you have to recognize, so again, one of the things that I say to individuals, if you take nothing from the change management course, understand about reinforcement and understand the change curve. Because if you understand the change curve, you know why people maybe are being particularly bolshy with you. You know why people are behaving as they're behaving. Not actually being, they, they don't have an axe to grind with you. They have an axe to grind with what you represent with the change. And you know, over the years, I've had some quite unpleasant things happen to me but it's not really me. It's the change that I represent. Mm. So, um, so if, you know, if you understand that change curve and listen, really listen to what people say and people leak signals all over the place and you can go, oh, I, I know why you're saying that. And I think it's really important. I think the point that you've just made there around when, when people are frustrated or not happy with the change, it's not personal. And I think, you know, that, I think that's a key skill that people need to develop is that resilience of this is, this is directed at me because it's what I represent, but it's not directed at me personally. 
and and it's not making me be a bad person or not very good at my job or or any of the above <laughs> yes yeah no absolutely no. yes sally it's been fantastic to talk to you thank you so much for your time that's been my pleasure I loved Sally's other framework, tenacity rather than resilience, I was particularly struck with. It's so strange how we still refer to soft skills, which are anything but. I think some of the hardest skills we can develop are the soft skills. Empathy is tricky. Too much empathy and you lose sight of what you're doing and where you're going. And too little and you lose people and you're only focused on the result. Finding that perfect balance is one of the most difficult things you can do in change. How do you strike the balance of empathy and being human so you have the same clarity of direction in perfect harmony with the relationships and bringing people with you in a way that works for everyone? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, helping leaders and teams lead with courage and compassion to accelerate growth in a way that makes a difference in the world. You can find out more at www.judejennison.com and you can find me on all the usual social media channels. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership. 